Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. My guest today, you are just going to love. He's a former riding master in the household cavalry. He's ridden for Her Majesty the Queen and he's ridden around badminton. In 2009, Richard was appointed performance manager for the British dressage team, including London 2012 and Rio 2016 Olympics. And two years ago, he was appointed performance manager to the British eventing team. So I'm super excited to welcome Major Richard Waygood on the podcast today. This is Horse Hour. Welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. I'm so excited. This is our first episode of 2019 and what a guest we have for you today. His name is Major Richard Waygood, MBE, and he's speaking at the International Eventing Forum, which is why he's our guest today. And wait until you hear what Richard's done. How are you, Richard? I'm very well, thank you. Good. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast. No, looking forward to it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to what questions you're going to ask me. Well, it's, it's not so much questions. I think we're just nosy people that we like to find out a bit about your life, really. Um, and when I look at, um, you know, when, when I always do some research when I'm doing these podcasts to find out a bit more about our guests. And you are everywhere because, well, you're an ambassador for The Brook, which is an incredible charity. I think they do some great work. Um, you are performance manager for the British eventing team. Uh, you've been chef to keep. You have won, your team have won so many gold medals in the Olympics I could just go on and on and on um, but I don't think you've ever done a podcast before so I feel like I've knocked one on your list <laughs> well done I can't wait go on then <laughs> well, well let's start let's start with your early years I mean you've gone from being in the army to riding for the queen can you fill in the bits in the middle how did that happen tell me when you were in the army what was it that that got you hooked on horses that you thought I've got to have this as my career well, I joined the army at 16 years old, straight from school, basically. And um, my father, dad was a gamekeeper, but he had a real passion for horses. And when I actually went to the recruiting office in those days, there was this great big sign that said, join the army and see the world. Mm. So I ended up joining the army and, and sweeping the world in the household cavalry. So um <laughs> Yeah, uh, we kind of arrived um, not really knowing what what I was getting into, um, but I knew I was going to a mounted regiment and I knew that dad would be thrilled. So I came home really excited telling them that I, I, you know, I, I joined the household cavalry. 
And then I arrived at uh, the Guards Depot, did a year at the Guards Depot when I was 16. And uh, that was really sort of uh, teaching how to be a soldier and how to march and salute and uh, and uh, lots of lots of days spent on the ranges shooting. Um, and then um, I arrived at Knightsbridge almost a year or just over a year later to start my um, 20 week riding school in those days. And I spent the next 20 weeks basically learning how to ride. And uh, on day six, week one of day six, we literally got on our horses and we rode from Knightsbridge in London down to Windsor, 21 miles later. We didn't even know it was coming. Oh, my goodness. Um, no, it was fascinating. So what can you can you take yourself back to that time? What was going through your mind? I mean, 21 miles for me now would be, well, I just wouldn't do it. It'd scare the life out of me. I mean, at 16, with no idea what you're doing or how to ride, what was going through your head? Well, we did six weeks at Knightsbridge, first of all. And then, like I say, we rode to Windsor. And we then when we got to Windsor, we did uh, the, ne- the next 10 weeks in Windsor. And, um, yeah, it was quite, especially with an army saddle, they're they're like as hard as a tabletop. And, uh, yeah, we were quite uncomfortable by the time we got to Windsor. Um, And then our next 10 weeks spent in Windsor, um, and we did what we call the Khaki Paso, where um, we walk, trot and canter as a ride, as a group. And then we do an individual exercise in walk, trot and canter. And then from there, We'd go down the jumping lane with our hands on our heads, removing our jackets, saluting to the left, no stirrups, and uh, um, and pass out in front of the commanding officer. And then we'd rode back to Knightsbridge, um, where then we spent four weeks learning how to ride in all the ceremonial uniform. And at the end of that four weeks, we did a big grand passing out parade in front of uh, a, a, an invited dignitary and in front of our families as well so oh, wow. yeah it was it was quite a moment um and then that really set me up for the rest of uh sort of i got the bug then really the equestrian bug hmm. and i then uh, was very lucky i rode on all sorts of uh, ceremonial parades the queen uh the queen's birthday parade troop in the color um the uh the the royal wedding with charles and diana um, and all sort of state open in the parliament, so a lot of state visits. Um, but while I was doing all of that, I sort of made my mind up that I wanted to become a riding instructor. And the, um, the riding instructors were affectionately known as the Blue Mafia because they uh, wore uh, blues all the time, And uh, but they were quite, quite a, a strict lot. Um, but then at the same time, I sort of got my first taste when I went on the the riding instructor's course, I got my first taste of eventing and my next, well, I had two two um, aspirations or two two dreams. One was to become the riding master and the other one was to be uh, to ride around badminton. And you've done both. That was great. Um, <laughs> I, I sort of set those as my targets. And uh, then over the next sort of, I spent 30 years um, in the lifeguards household cavalry, so 30 years. And when I um, sort of set my goal on uh, becoming rider master and, uh, and and badminton, and uh, I always remember my second badminton. Um, I had a good good first badminton, and my second one, I was really determined that before I even got there, I was going to go all the quick ways and 
Um, I hadn't even walked the, walked the course that I was going to, and I was going to get under the time. And a few weeks before badminton, I went in front of my commanding officer, um, and I went in front of the commanding officer to basically um, get my confidential report. And he asked me, he said, uh, Richard, what aspirations do you have left? And uh, I said, Colonel, I want to be on a question of sport. With that, he looked at me and said, why do you want to be on a question of sport? And I said, Colonel, if I've been on a question of sport, it means that more than likely I've won badminton and I've ridden on a team. And he said, I like the way you're thinking. Mm. About, you know, three, four weeks later, I arrived at badminton. I was going all the quick ways. I hadn't even walked the course and I was going to make the time and it rained and it rained and it rained for about three weeks. Well, anyway, I got as far as the lake, which was three from home in that particular year, got as far as the lake and I jumped into the lake and the horse didn't join me. Horse was, was tired and I should have gone the long way, but I, I didn't have a stretch, flexible strategy. All I had was plan A. So long story short, I got back to the horse box to pick up my mobile phone and there I find a text from my commanding officer said, well done, Richard. It looks like you're going to make a question of sport, but for what happened next. <laughs> Brilliant. So that taught me a valuable, valuable lesson. And that those lessons were A, have a very flexible strategy and B, ride what's underneath you, ride with feel, not mm. not by numbers. I have heard the saying, you ride the horse that you're on, but you also need to ride the horse that you're on depending on what time of year it is, whether it's spring grass or not, depending on what feed you're feeding them. <laughs> yeah, lot, lots of lots of variables. Yeah. And as you know, you know, in Benton, there's so many so many variables that, um, yeah, you need, you need to, and, it, you know, it it's, 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 has its risks and you need to take those risks out um where, where possible yeah so if you could don't mind me taking you back to your original 20 week plan i mean i just think that's the most incredible strategy for um anybody learning to ride and i and i kind of wish we had those courses available now um because it's given you confidence it's taught you how to ride it's taught you how to have a relationship it's with a horse and a bond it's almost like plus looking after the care it's almost like a crash course of how to be a, a horse person and obviously to be an exceptional horse person you need years of experience and you're constantly learning but it's interesting that uh, when you had to pass out there were certain elements of riding that you had to do that then later came into a musical ride is that where you got your ideas from to come up with a musical ride for the household cavalry yeah the musical ride was I, I really enjoyed the ride and I'd taken over the ride um, after really had gone through a bit of a slump and um, it was still a great great uh, spectacle and a great performance but it just needed to move a bit with the times um, mm. so we had lots of county shows fantastic but the indoor bookings and the big sort of uh, on the big stage was really drying up a little bit so the first thing I did really I got all the boys together and said we really need to do something about this so I empowered them straight away and they and I said I want every idea you, po you possibly got well they came back with hundreds of ideas and of those hundreds of ideas, there was probably only uh, two or three. Um, but those two or three were fantastic ideas. And we did everything from, you know, we changed the music completely. 
uh, for the indoor shows. And more often than not, I a couple of times I had a uh, live rock guitarist and a, uh, a a violin player, believe it or not, who um, who we've used Bond, um, the group Bond, their music, uh, so sort of modern classical violin music. Um, and we did the ride to live music, and gosh, that made a huge difference. And things like galloping out the arena with the flags of the land of hope and glory at the end. Um, I can remember walking out of a production meeting quite late at night at Horse of the Year show and seeing all those flags mm. uh, flying around the front of the NEC, and that made me think that's what we want in the finale. And we literally added them in for the following day, and uh, the crowd went absolutely wild. Um, so that's become a, a little bit of a sort of signature uh, feature for the ride now. They do that every performance. Um, and off the back of really changing the music and lots of other bits and pieces, bringing it up to date, we suddenly found ourselves going all over the world and everywhere from the uh, from Abu Dhabi to Oman to the Frozen Lake, San Moritz. I mean, we performed on the Frozen Lake, which was quite amazing. Hmm, wow. Gosh, how did you get through health and safety? I mean, I know it's not Britain, so it's probably a bit easier, but... <laughs> I can remember the first day that we rode on the lake and... We rode out onto the lake and there was a, a chap out there um, putting the fencing up, basically, for because bearing in mind on the lake, they use the lake as a car park. They use it as a polo pitch. It's got grandstands on the lake and it's also got the VIP hospitality tent on there. Mm. And we were riding across the first time on the lake to go and rehearse. And, well, it was more of a familiarisation. And as we were riding across, poof, the ice started cracking there was really loud like rifle shots cracks and i halted the boys boom, and we got the drum horse and everything and i am jealous whoa ride halt and everybody was motionless and the ice kept making these really sharp cracks so i, I, I walked very tentatively over to this uh, chap who was putting this fence up and in sort of broken sort of uh, in english and he spoke back to me in broke broken swiss and he and he explained that if the ice was making that noise, it was safe. It meant that the ice was really hard and it was really uh, frozen solid. Um, he said when the ice doesn't crack, he said that's when it's turning slushy and starting to melt. So that was a big relief when we rode uh, we rode on the lake there from then on in. But no, that was and that was so cold in the rehearsals that with the helmets we had to put the boys had to put Vaseline just on the end of their noses or on their ears, because when the, the helmets were touching, it was sticking to their, t- sticking to their skin. Oh, no, painful. But, in, but interestingly, how did you, I mean, did, uh, how did you stop the horses from slipping? Did they wear shoes or would the shoes stick to the ice? Well, no, it's a good question. I mean, believe it or not, the, um, they'd, the top, just the very top of the lake, they put a peace basher on there just to churn the, ice up a little bit or often it snowed on top but just to churn that up so it was manicured beautifully and we in some of the horses they needed quite large studs but most of them only had small studs in mm-hmm. um as you as you'd use home here on a on what you'll consider to be good going cross country oh wow so okay you've now got a, a love for riding obviously and you said you you love the eventing side but uh, you ended up becoming a performance manager for the dressage team. What was it? How did that end up happening? Well, it was a big gamble. Um, I was basically, I did 30 years and um, I could have stayed a bit longer until I was 55 or I could have stayed 
theoretically, for another uh, eight years. And um, I decided that, you know, you should leave everything while you still wanted and uh, because it means you're still doing your job. And my mindset, it was time to go. I really loved the army. I loved, I had a most fantastic job, but it, it was the right time for me. And the with regards to the dressage job, it was a huge gamble because, you know, historically, um, the performance manager, straight chef, to keep has always been from the sport and really had a good understanding. And for me to come in from the outside, like I say, was a gamble for, for me uh, on a personal level. And it was a huge gamble for dressage as well. Mm. Anyway, um, I stepped into the job and it was fascinating. I absolutely really enjoyed it. I learned so much. Um, and most of my job at that time, really, the technical side was taken care of by coaches. And my job really was to look after and manage the character. Oh, well, that's nice, because that's a lot about psychology, isn't it? And keeping the team together. And are you interest, interested in psychology? Because you sound extremely positive. It's like you, you have your goals. And um, it was interesting to hear you speak earlier about not having a plan B. And now maybe you have other options, not just head for one. But you still sound like when you when you have your goal or your, your idea of where you want to be, you don't stop until you get there. So do, is there psychology that plays a part in that? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, I'm sure there is. I mean, you know, dogged determination, I guess, or, uh, you know, uh, or, you know, but you, you, yeah, I mean, definitely. And I think with the sort of sports psychology side of things, I mean, when you look at coaches, you know, coaches become mentors, coaches become, um, in lots of ways, they're, they've got to be really aware of, um, you know, how to get the best out of people, manage people. So every every coach at all levels, there's some sort of form of um, 
uh, uh, managerial skills and, and they've got to understand people. So, um, and then I think also, you know, on the sort of sports psychology side, you know, it works for some, doesn't work for others, but 99%, if not all athletes, will all have their own way, their own mental preparation. So whether that's, you know, lying on the bed before the night before the cross country and running through every undulation, every long way, every short way, and really preparing themselves. That is their, their form of, um, of, of sports psychology and mental preparation. So, you know, in all different levels, we in, in all different ways, I, I, think, I think we all engage, whether it means sitting down with someone who is actually going to give you advice or not, or whether you are, you, you take on board and listen and read and do, do, and do your own preparation. But we all, we all use our own form of uh, psychology. And so um, I, I very much agree with you and I'm loving the fact that you uh, decided to become an instructor um, or, or a coach as they're now called because there's a real passion within you that you can hear and, and see and I think when you're passionate about something you just want to tell the world about it so having the opportunity to share and educate and, and watch other people grow. How do you think you're competing and the level, what level are you competing at right now? Um, the coaching, well, I am still competing, but, uh, you know, it's sort of three-star level. So, you know, not, uh, you know, not, not uh, around badminton or Burley. And I still really enjoy the competing. I still compete because, A, I really enjoy it. And um, I've got some nice, really nice horses and lovely owners. Um, so, and also the competing keeps you in touch. It really keeps you in touch with the sport. You're on the coal face. Um, walking around the collecting arena in the show jumping, you learn so much. And the other thing, when I say it keeps you in touch, it really keeps you current and up to date with your coaching, um, because you, you know, there's often a time I think with co- coaching when you step away from the actual competing yourself, you can end up sort of distancing yourself and forget a little bit what the rider's going through, mm. and we go back to the sort of psychology side and the and the and the preparation side and. Um, so, um, but then on the coaching side, no, I've always been fascinated with the coaching, um, and I really enjoyed, I love going to, um, lecture demos, etc. or where I'm really lucky is where I've been able in the dressage and the event and to go and do yard visits and watch other coaches coaching. And, you know, you never, never stop learning. Um, and it's one of those things, the more you, you think, you know, the more you realize actually you don't know and that's the same with horses um yeah and and you know with any elite sportsman or sportswoman you know they they must have an inquisitive brain um always wanting to know how why or or what can i do better or what what can i learn and that i think with good coaches they're exactly the same I agree. I think it's great. I've, I've started um, to do my own exams. I've started to do exams myself. I'd love to be a coach. My problem is I'm not good enough. I couldn't compete myself. But um, I think for me, I'd like to teach youngsters because I really love that excitement, you know, when you see a child and they are just, just want to be around the horse and that they love that moment. And I really enjoy that bit. Um, but I know that I wouldn't be good enough to, uh, I don't think I'd even be able to jump myself, let alone try and coach somebody else to do that. But 
but I'm very much looking forward to becoming a coach one day, hopefully within the next year, actually. Very good. Yeah, I, I still teach uh, quite a few. Well, I try, as long as I can fit them in, I try to do some pony clubs because I think that's really, I really enjoy it. And, mm. you know, again, it's passing something on. And, uh, and again, I have a few children that, that come to me, but it, it's quite hard trying to fit every, everything in. But I, I still really enjoy uh, coaching the pony clubs. Mm. Oh, they're brilliant. I think they offer, the Pony Club's brilliant. I think it offers so much. Well, let's touch on what you are talking about at the International Eventing Forum. So you're doing a session called Direct Riding. Can you give us a little insight as to what you're going to be talking about, please? Yeah, ba- basically, we're going to um, work in the arena, um, in, obviously in the indoor school at Hartbury, and we're going to do a little bit of uh, um, cross-country exercises, um, and some various different exercises to improve a balance, to improve the line, to improve the horse's understanding, and all of those key things. So we want to improve the way of going, uh, providing the line to the fence and the rider sitting in balance and all those ingredients together um, help give the horse options and understanding. So, um, yeah, and we'll do a few... Um, a few um, unusual lines uh, which are really good in training and a little bit always you know you've got to be aware you know you have a training session and then sometimes you may test horses a little bit and uh, yeah we'll see how we go with them or we might ask them a few little questions and really I don't mind at all if anything you know if if one makes a little mistake runs out left runs out right or whatever because actually it's a really good talking point because we you know we shouldn't be frightened in training of uh, breaking a few eggs to make your omelette but at the same time you've got to be careful that you know we don't want to teach horses how to run out so uh, um, you know I, I hope you know I don't want it all to go beautifully swimmingly well I'd like to see uh, you know uh, a few little blips here and there so we can talk about them they can be a great discussion point and we can go through the process that we put the wheels back on. So what do you consider to be direct riding? Well, it was a really, I'm thinking here, my mindset is thinking riding from the leg and seat and the hands are there purely to back up the leg and seat. So when you're riding from skinny to skinny, it's about the connection with the lower leg and sitting in balance in the middle of the horse and really your hands are only there to back up the leg and seat. So we want to be direct from the leg and seat. To, through your lines to the fences mm, brilliant oh um, i'm looking forward to that and the riders that you're using would we are they your students would we know them yeah so we've got uh, hopefully you will um so we've got i've got three riders that um that i help uh, we've got kitty king oh amazing um yeah we've got uh, georgie spence and we've got frankie rewarlo so good riders um they all the reason i thought it'd be better if i sort of had three people that I've worked with uh, and worked with a bit um, and then we can sort of get a little bit stuck into it and uh, yeah take it with me I've asked them not to bring um, you know they're bringing sort of top end novice stroke intermediate horses so um, so yeah so really looking forward to it oh brilliant well you wouldn't want me on it because um, you'd have loads of mistakes then you'd have to teach me how to just be in balance that would be a bonus <laughs> The way we've been going lately, it hasn't been working. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised. It's uh, it'd be a surprise what you can achieve in a short space of time and a few key um, exercises and a few key things to, to focus on. And uh, you'd be surprised how quickly you can uh, you can change your balance and, uh, yeah, 
be be more in balance. <laughs> well, aren't we grateful that they took up that took that punt on you to be chef to keep all those years ago at the for for the dressage because now you've moved on to eventing, which is great. And I've got to ask you, did you ever make it onto the question of sport? I did actually. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was in uh, I was in the Middle East. It was been about four or five years later, and it wasn't actually to what happened next, but it was. I can't remember what it was anyway, but the. Uh, um, I got a call out there, or about five or six missed calls, and one call said, "You're on question of sport. You've made it." <laughs> so that was, yeah. Brilliant. And, and do you still stay in touch with the Queen? Because didn't you ride for her for a long time? Um, the yeah, I was very lucky. I rode for Her Majesty for just over 15 years, really, with uh, different horses, and uh, um, and yeah, that was a, a great, great privilege. And uh, every now and again, I get a. Uh, uh, an invite to somewhere, you know, it might be Wirral, Windsor Horse Show or wherever, where Her Majesty is. And, uh, yeah, it's great. And uh, we took, we took um, and I sat next to Her Majesty a few years ago at Royal Windsor Horse Show and absolutely fascinating because uh, the Queen really know, knows her breeding so well. And, uh, yeah, you can just, I mean, I, you know, when you talk about breeding, I I often just sit and listen because it's a real education, and uh, and obviously with the horses, the Queen's so passionate about her horses, mm. and all horses she's had involvement in so many different disciplines I just think she's amazing and and I kind of get a little bit um defensive of her when people are you know sometimes you hear things she shouldn't be riding she hasn't got a hat she's too old and I think oh my goodness I feel like she's my granny because she loves horses so much um if I could have a sit down with her for half an hour I think it would just then I've made it that would be my epitome so um (laughs) for, for you to have that opportunity I think to be able to connect with her I think anyone that's on horses or loves horses straight away are going to connect with her much quicker do you think oh absolutely and uh, you know there's some obviously some common ground there and uh, like I say I think the uh, horses are Her Majesty's guilty pleasure and uh, they're, they're, they're you know they're a big part of her life and uh, you know what they've done for the equestrian world is is outstanding I mean Royal Windsor Horseshoe wouldn't be as it as it is now. Um, that's actually in Home Park, and it's uh, no, it's a, uh, an incredible show. But uh, no, and the passion around horses is incredible. And I mean, Queen is the most amazing role model. Um, just, just, just the unbelievable lady. And did you get to go? Did you actually get to go riding together? Yes, I was very lucky. Um, so if. You know, um, when the Queen rode in Windsor, if I was in Windsor at the time, I would go and hack out with uh, Peter Pan, for example, or go and, uh, you know, ride. I was very lucky because I could go in and use the uh, the facilities within the castle. Um, so that that was fabulous to be able to go and do that. And sometimes I work the horses in front of Her Majesty. Oh, wonderful! And what testament to you, Richard, as well that um, you're you're riding and you're learning in all these phenomenal places. I mean, you know the the, the facilities, the equestrian yards. Uh, you just have everything, and I can imagine you still. Well, I don't need to imagine you still put so much back into the industry as well. Like, for example, teaching at Pony Club, I still would feel comfortable if I had a a little tin pot yard that um, maybe didn't have many facilities, I would still know that I'd feel comfortable having you there uh, because it's all about the learning and growing together, which I think is wonderful. No, it is. And I mean, look, we're, we're, 
I said this at the home coaches day a few few days ago. You know, storytelling is a is a large part of leadership and sharing good practice. And when you storytell, what we're really doing at the moment is you're sharing your experiences, you're sharing your mistakes, so others can learn from them. And also at the same time, storytelling as we are now um, encourages interaction. So yeah. Um, it, it, it's about sharing the, the, the good times, sharing the bad times and letting other people learn from your mistakes. So if you can think of, which is I know going to be difficult, but if you can think of one one lesson that you would share with others, what would it be? Well, I think the one I used earlier, always have a flexible strategy. Um, otherwise you end up in the lake. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time and for joining us on the Horse Hour podcast. Uh, We can still get tickets if we want to come and join you at the International Eventing Forum on February the 4th at Hartbury College. If we'd like more information on the forum, then head to internationaleventingforum.com and you can also follow them on Twitter at Eventing Forum. Major Richard Waygood, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. No, very good and well done and uh, hopefully see you on the 4th of February. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Don't forget the International Eventing Forum is on Friday the 4th of February. So if you haven't got your tickets, then head over to internationaleventingforum.com to get your tickets straight away. You don't want to miss out because not only is Major Richard Waygood going to be speaking, but you'll also hear from Adam Kemp. If you don't know who Adam is, most dressage enthusiasts do, then he's a highly sought after teacher, trainer and coach. Adam's career began at the Talon School of Equitation when he was just 16 and from that he's made his way into the elite band of teachers of which there are only 50 worldwide. So we're looking forward to hearing what Adam's got to say at the forum. You'll also hear from international dressage rider and trainer Matt Frost. More information can be found at the website or of course you can follow them at Eventing Forum. I hope you've had a really good time with your horse this weekend. Tell me what have you been up I'd like to have a go at jumping this week I think at some point because the weather's nice it's been quite mild hasn't it it's going to get a little bit colder though as uh, we head through to the weekend look at me sounding like a weather girl but I do think these opportunities while it's warm we've got to get as much riding in as possible and now that the daylight hours are longer we have more time Um, my life has been so boring though all I've been doing is poo picking it's been the bane of my life for the last week I've had so much to clear because I gave it a little break over Christmas and New Year and um, I've decided to to be a bit more committed this year I'm going to do a little bit every day and it's become like OCD so uh, yeah keep going with that do share your pictures and your videos things that you're up to with your horse because I love seeing your journeys and you inspire me get me excited and wanting to do more with blackjack so please keep the pictures and videos coming head over to our website horsehour.co.uk and of course facebook and instagram and twitter just use hashtag horsehour and uh, tag us as well at horsehour hope you have a really good week with your horse and i'll speak to you soon hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.